This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon and welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. On the show today, we're discussing intragastric balloons. Now, for people who struggle with obesity, managing their weight can be extremely challenging, especially when they've tried um, long and hard to incorporate lifestyle changes but are still not seeing any difference when it comes to their weight. And in some cases, these individuals might be offered weight loss procedures to help them along, and this could include the intragastric gastric balloon. How does this procedure work and is this a long-term solution or sort of a quick fix in tackling obesity? We want to find out more today on the show and my guest joining me to give us more information, Associate Professor Dr. Nick Ritza Kosai, Nick Mahmoud, Consultant, Upper Gastrointestinal and Obesity Surgeon from Hospital Chancellor Tuanku Muhris, University Kebangsaan Malaysia. Uh, Dr. Nick Ritza, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm great. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I think um, perhaps we want to make sure that we are talking about the same parameters or the same definition uh, when it comes to obesity, because a lot of people may use the term quite loosely or maybe just eyeball and think that, you know, they have a weight problem. But from a clinical perspective um, for you, uh, what measures do you use to look at to determine if someone is obese and overweight? So uh, clinical obesity, by definition, is an excess unwanted fat in the body. Simple as that. Our bodies still need fat uh, for uh, quite a few uh, physiological reasons. But when you have excess fat, and that is where a problem starts. Excess fat are very inflammatory. Uh, there are numerous uh, major medical problems that associated with uh, obesity due to uh, excess fat. And uh, in particular, we're talking about metabolic problems which incorporate uh, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, fatty liver, obstructive sleep apnea, infertility, joint problems, uh, and uh, various other serious medical problems. How do you define excess fat? Though? It's basically um, when uh, you have deposition of uh, unwanted fat due to accumulation of uh, positive calories. Mm. Okay. So when you uh, have positive net calorie, which uh, comes from excess eating and reduction in your uh, exercise activity uh, due to sedentary lifestyle, uh, this accumulation ultimately makes people overweight, ultimately becomes obese and eventually morbidly obese and the most serious situation, super obese, where their BMI exceeds uh, more than BMI of 50. Mm. So the most simplest measurement of uh, obesity is by means of uh, BMI, which is basically a ratio of um, weight uh, divided by height in square. Mm. But there are the numerous ways uh, in measurement, including our waistline, our... Um, hip-to-waist ratio, uh, and there are other much more objectively and more scientific way of assessing uh, obesity by means of body composition assessment. Mm. Would you also look at whether an individual has other 
coexisting conditions like diabetes. I mean, you mentioned that it uh, obesity predisposes one to all of those health problems. Uh, but in order for uh, for you to determine someone needs treatment, would you also look at whether they have these coexisting disorders already, like diabetes, um, heart condition, and all of that? So basically, uh, there has been um, numerous established guidelines uh, from different countries. And for example, from America, from UK, Europe, Australia, including in Malaysia. And uh, we have uh, just launched our second edition of uh, the Malaysian uh, Clinical Practice Guideline mm -hmm. for Obesity. Yeah. And uh, in there, it is mentioned quite uh, broad repertoire of treatment. So it's extensive uh, uh, factual uh, on um, the management of obesity. And of course, uh, when, we call, when we talk about uh, treatment, uh, the best option would be the natural way, of course, diet and exercise. Mm. However, not everyone succeed with just uh, diet and exercise. Hence, in this situation, there are numerous ways to help this patient uh, lose weight. And this incorporates pharmacological treatment, uh, there are several uh, different types of uh, drugs nowadays that are used uh, to combat obesity. Uh, these include uh, or comes in, in various forms, such as pills and injection. I'm not going to, into detail with that. And, of course, uh, the middle ground type of uh, treatment, which we are going to speak specifically later on, which is uh, endo endoscopic uh, or intragastric type procedures. Mm. And uh, one of them is intragastric balloons. Mm. And intragastric balloon also come in various uh, different types or brands. Mm. Uh, however, there are two different types. One is where you implant it, having to use endoscopy, implant and remove it. And the other type is more unique, where it's completely procedureless, where you just need to swallow a pill. Mm. And we inflate the balloon. And then when the time's up at four months, it uh, automatically deflates itself and, uh, you know, it comes out uh, as you go to the toilet oh. or in 2% of patients, they vomit it out. Yeah, it doesn't sounds gross, but uh, actually <laughs> it's, it's uh, not too bad. Most patients uh, say fine with it, actually. All right. That's uh, really groundbreaking stuff. Yeah. Uh, and we will be going into that um, what does it do in the body uh, after it, it is inserted? But before that, though, um, you did say not everyone succeeds with dietary and exercise measures. Um, and the reason I want to bring this up is because I understand that even with any procedure that one undergoes, um, diet and exercise will still be part of the long-term measures later on, which I'm sure you'll elaborate on. Uh, in the later part of the show. But fundamentally, what do people struggle with? What do they find most difficult? What are the factors that are sometimes beyond their control when it comes to the dietary and other lifestyle measures? So basically, um, when we talk about diet, there are three important things and fundamental things that we need to control. First is your appetite. Number two is satiety. Society means how can we make 
ourselves feel full mm. so the so that the number three hungry or feeling hunger does not come in into the equation so if you can control at least two out of these three you are sorted basically you know you can um, hopefully consistently live in a much more healthier environment uh, life and control your dietary behavior mm. and the problem is when you uh, live in a country where tradition of eating uh, matters you know if you if you if you balik kampung for example you know if you go out with a family you know your mom will cook nice stuff you know it's very difficult for you to uh, not to eat mm. because tradition says you know we should gather around and eat and you know that uh, these types of food are very 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 high caloric mm -hmm. you know um, and as a result it creates uh, what we call a hedonistic um, you know a dietary behavior mm. you know for example there are like 10 different dishes on the on the table you know there is a limitation of how much your stomach can take but you still force force yourself to take that is an issue that is a problem and of course um, you know, that's only lunch. <laughs> and then, um, you know, uh, next will be dinner. Yeah. And then while you balik kampung on holiday, you know, there's always supper as well. And then breakfast the next day. So it's just a continuous process of ca net calorie input, mm -hmm. which is not good. And do does anybody talk about exercising when you balik kampung? No, no. <laughs> exactly. So a combination of increased calorie and reduction in your uh, exercise activity will start to accumulate um, uh, uh, sugar in your body and ultimately it's stored as, as fat. Mm -hmm. But the next important thing is, like I said, I always tell you will not get fat just by one day eating a lot. Okay, and you're not going to lose weight by dieting, extreme dieting for just one day. Everything takes time. So it's all about consistency. So if you consistently eat uh, a lot over time, of course, you're going to pile on weight. Uh, so the opposite do help and make you lose weight. Simple. So it's the hedonistic, um, you know, erratic behavior on dieting and sedentary lifestyle is an issue. And they did a survey and it has been published in the uh, National Health Mobility Survey 2019 and showed nearly one quarter, which is 25% of our population, does not even exercise or know what exercise is. So hence, as a result, nearly 50% of our population is either obese or overweight. Mm. And as a result, it attracts so much metabolic problem. And when you look at this survey, it shows that 17.5% uh, of Malaysian population has diabetes or uh, insulin resistance state or glucose intolerance state. Mm. So it is very alarming mm. indeed. We will come back from a quick break to go on to look at how something like an intragastric balloon would work and how, how does it fulfill those um, sort of um, three factors or three areas that Dr. Nick Ritza talked about. 
Does it target appetite, satiety, hunger? Uh, and is this a long-term uh, solution to managing obesity? I'm speaking to Associate Professor Dr. Nick Ritza Kosai, Nick Mahmoud, a consultant, upper gastrointestinal and obesity surgeon at Hospital Chancellor Tuanku Mohris, University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We're discussing intragastric balloons for the treatment of obesity. Stay tuned to Health and Living BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, T. Shaoik. Joining me in the studio today, Associate Professor Dr. Nick Ritza Kosai, Nick Mahmoud, a consultant, upper gastrointestinal and obesity surgeon at Hospital Chancellor Tuanko Mohres, University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We're discussing the uh, growing problem of obesity in Malaysia, but in the context of a procedure that may be a solution for some people who are struggling with this, and that's the use of intragastric balloons and the technology really seems to have advanced a lot and very rapidly in this area, which um, Dr. Nick Ritza will be telling us more about. Um, so perhaps you could explain um, at what point would uh, somebody come and see you uh, to discuss the possibility of any weight loss procedures, but you know specifically intragastric balloon. Okay, um, to begin with, so, um, you know, as I mentioned, 50% of our population is either obese or overweight. And uh, all these patients uh, start getting problems with their quality of life. Hence, they come and see us in clinic. So uh, we counsel them. We ensure that all these patients at least have attempt uh, to lose weight by natural means, which is uh, diet and exercise. Having failed that, we lay out uh, the option of uh, what sort of treatment would be suitable for these patients. Uh, and this includes pharmacological treatment, as mentioned before, intragastric procedures, such as intragastric balloon, and ultimately bariatric surgery. Okay, uh, But we're not going to go in-depth uh, with regards to bariatric surgery today, but it is these are the uh, three main options. So when we talk about the intragastric balloon, so first of all, what is intragastric balloon? So basically... Um, Intragastric balloon is an implantation of a balloon of uh, a specific volume in our stomach uh, to create a stity effect. Uh, remember when I mentioned when we talk about diet, three important things that we have to uh, control is the appetite, stity and hunger. And for me, I think the most important thing is we can control the stity then you don't feel hungry. And when you don't feel hungry, there is no uh, stimulation to our, our hypothalamus to tell us to increase our appetite, to remind us to eat. Simple as that. So uh, intragastric balloon uh, has been going on for nearly more than 20 years. Uh, so it's not a new, uh, novel procedure. It has been uh, you know, used in many countries and for a while. There are six uh, different types of uh, balloons uh, in the world with different brands. Uh, five of them, uh, we have to use endoscopy mm -hmm. to implant and to explant it. And there's one which is more unique and it's the latest type of intragastric balloon uh, where it's completely uh, procedureless, uh, where you just need to swallow a pill. As the pill uh, goes inside the stomach, the stomach juice will erode the capsule and leave the uh, deflated balloon. So the balloon has to be inflated up to 550 mils of uh, a solution. 
once the solution is filled up, we remove the catheter and leave the balloon in for four months. And the balloon is designed uh, to stay in the stomach for four months and thereafter it will auto-deflate itself and uh, it will be excreted as you go to the toilet or uh, in 2% vomit it out. What is the solution that's within the balloon when it's inflated inside? The solution in other types of balloon normally you just put water and methylene blue. The reason they put water and methylene blue with the other five types uh, is that if the uh, balloon accidentally leak or deflate early, prematurely, then a patient will tell us, oh, doctor, how come my wee is blue? So you know. So then you do an x-ray and you can't find a balloon and uh, obviously it's out already, okay? But uh, with this new novel uh, balloon, uh, which is a swallowable balloon, uh, the solution is potassium bicarbonate. Because uh, there is a small uh, window uh, which is designed over the balloon itself and it's covered by a patch. And that patch is sutured, which the potassium bicarbonate at four months will completely erode it. So the suture Mm. erodes, the patch opens up, the window opens, all the water will leak out, so it deflates itself. And that's how it comes out. Mm. Uh, as you go to the toilet or you vomit it out. Mm, yeah. Mm, all right. So um, what exactly is it doing to promote satiety? Is it simply taking up space in the stomach? Absolutely. Mm. It's just simple as that. It's mm. just like if I ask you to uh, eat two plates of rice and then later I'll ask you to come and join me for lunch and we'll say, oh, no, doctor, it's okay. My, my tummy is full already. Basically, you're just reducing the amount of space for food. When it, uh, to enter the stomach, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a volume mm. restriction procedure. Mm. It's mm. the same uh, principle as when you do a bariatric surgery, when you make the stomach smaller, but yes. in that case, it's an operation and you remove it. Yeah. 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 Um, but I suppose, um, you know, uh, when you recommend this to patients, for instance, what might be some concerns that they have about putting a balloon into their stomachs? So when we, when we counsel patients, uh, we can't just talk about the positive effect. You have to talk about what are the... Uh, you know, the risk involved, okay? So when you talk about risk, it's divided into two. One is complications, one is side effects, okay? Side effects are something that you are expected to experience, but, you know, it will tend to get or improve over time. Complication is something that can happen, but it's something unexpected. Mm. And the reason it's unexpected because the risk of complication is very, very, very low, Okay, so let's go uh, with the side effects. So when you have uh, uh, 550 mils of a balloon in your stomach, now the stomach will not uh, uh, be used to the presence of this foreign body. So initially, uh, it will try and reject it. So what it does is, number typical symptom will be cramps, Mm -hmm. stomach cramps. Uh, Number two, most patients will say, I get quite bad bloating. Mm -hmm. Number three is, uh, if you take, too much or of a volume uh, immediately after you had the balloon implanted, then um, you get nausea or vomiting. So these are the four typical uh, side, side effects. effects. What about complications? Uh, when you have a balloon inside, the typical complication will be reflux. Okay, and you get esophagitis over that period of four. Uh, four months. Uh, there's always a risk of gastric perforations. Uh, there is always a risk that if the say the balloon basically uh, unfortunately dislodge itself, 
say it leaks, but semi-leak. So you still have the volume mm. and it passed through the small intestine. Of course, that can cause obstruction. Mm. In a very, very small proportion, uh, uh, there is always uh, a small risk of developing acute pancreatitis purely because of the weight of the balloon inside the stomach, which lies above the pancreas. So it irritates the pancreas and can cause pancreatitis. However, the good news is all these symptoms are very, 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 very rare. Very, very rare. But are they life-threatening? Um, I mean, I mean, when we talk about uh, if it causes obstruction and perforation, of course it does. Hence, hence, uh, there are certain uh, situations where balloons are contraindicated. Oh, yes. Yeah. In so, for example, uh, we know that the balloon can trigger severe reflux. So, for this has severe reflux or large hiatal hernia, for example, uh, that means they tell us, doctor, I have to take uh, anti-acid medication every day because otherwise I get severe heartburn. Then preferably we'll try to uh, not do the balloon in these type of patients. Mm. Number two is if patient had numerous intra-abdominal operations, which result in a lot of adhesions. So everything gets stuck, matted around. So the worry is uh, when the balloon deflates itself, it has to traverse through the small intestine. And the worry is when there's a lot of adhesion, it's called a lot of kinking. So in this case, uh, the balloon might get stuck and cause obstruction. And finally, uh, uh, the other contraindication would be if anybody who had previous gastric operations. So for example, they had bariatric surgery or cancer operation or removal or whatever lump to the stomach, uh, then we prefer not, not to do the balloon because the risk of gastric perforation because they have scar there. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned somebody who had underwent bariatric surgery. So somebody could have done bariatric surgery, some sort of resection or, or bypass and then still need a balloon later on? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I just gave you an example of ah. what would be a contraindication because there's some bariatric patient who had bariatric surgery, say, five, six, seven, eight years ago, and they felt that uh, they're starting to eat a bit more. Mm. Okay, and, and uh, just tells me that the doctor, any chance of me having a balloon? So unfortunately, we can't because of the contraindications. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, you mentioned that with the uh, proceduralist, the pill that you swallow, um, you pass out the balloon four months later. What about in the uh, endoscopy ones? How is the balloon uh, removed later on? Okay. So uh, with the uh, the latest one, which is the swallowable balloon, the balloon only stays in for four months. The rest of the balloon which is implanted and explanted by endoscopy, uh, it can stay in the stomach uh, over a duration of between six months to one year. Some of them you can you know, increase or reduce the volume. So it can range from 500 to 700. So it's called adjustable type uh, of gastric balloon. Mm -hmm. In this case, when the time comes up, uh, the patient comes back to us and we do it as a daycare to remove it yeah mm. uh, the endoscopy is through the throat oh yes right? of course yeah mm -hmm. um i guess it makes sense that you need to remove it at some point uh but then what's to stop because the whole idea of it it was to take up space in the stomach right mm. so once you remove it won't uh eating and appetite just go back to normal again uh, the simple answer is the body will adapt 
and start to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's simple as that. And this is precisely when you go for whatever modality of treatment, it is essential that the first year try and maximize your weight loss. Hence, you create a calorie deficit environment by trying to control and reduce the amount of calorie intake as much as possible and increase the output by exercising. Because once the body starts adapting, the, the, the weight loss will start to slow down and plateau. Because the body will always do the opposite. Say, if you're bleeding, the body will do the opposite by stopping the bleeding. Mm-hmm. If you're in shock, the body will try and protect your body by re- try and reverse the shock as much as possible. It depends on the shock, of course. Mm-hmm. You have to treat the cause. But the body at least will try and compensate to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. So same as... If you lose weight, you will not lose weight forever unless, for example, the country where you live in, there is no food whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. So so then uh, in the long term, uh, what's important for people to know uh, after they've undergone this and after the balloon is eventually removed, what do they need to keep in mind? Like I said, um, you know, the principle... Uh, of healthy living and weight loss is two things, calorie deficit. In fact, we don't actually need to eat too much. I think one of the best ways like intermittent fasting is a really good way of uh, controlling your diet, help you control uh, over time in terms of diet and help you lose weight. Mm. So uh, we really, really emphasize, and that's why pre-procedure counseling is much more important than the post-procedure counseling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we always tell our patient that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, because a lot of patients uh, ask me, doctor, can you give me the best treatment, mm-hmm. something which is really powerful and make me lose weight? And I tell all my patients, in fact, all these uh, treatments are pretty comparable to each other if the patient is highly motivated and a very good patient. Mm-hmm. You can have somebody who just had balloon. Uh, who really, after they lose 10 to 15% of their total body weight, uh, start doing exercise, look after the diet, as compared to those who have bariatric surgery, who just continue their old lifestyle. So change of uh, lifestyle is very, very important. So if you want to continue to lose weight or sustain your weight loss, then you need to cut down calories and increase their output by exercising. But of course... You know, we are humans, uh, especially when you have so much stimulation, uh, you know, especially in Malaysia, the food is very accessible. Mm. Food is very cheap. So it's not easy. So there is a new drug that just uh, been launched recently. It is meant primarily to uh, sustain weight loss, not for rapid weight loss, but to sustain weight loss. Mm. So the good news is there is... uh, other means of help that we can try and sustain that weight loss after whatever modality they've gone through uh, by means of a pharmacological treatment if you can't deal by means just your natural way of diet and exercise. Mm. So 10 to 15% is the weight loss that can be expected? On average. On average. Is that within the first year? Um, So interestingly, uh, I have looked uh, and analysed a data of 500 patients, those who has completed one year of the swallowable balloon mm. and followed up for one year 
via a supervised program because the solar balloon comes in a one-year program. And we know that supervised program is much better than unsupervised program. So at one year, we have uh, found that 13, on average 13% uh, weight loss, total body weight loss, which is pretty, pretty uh, commendable actually. Uh, have, having a balloon for four months and you have eight months without the balloon. And if I ask a lot of patients after the balloon has come out, most patients said, doctor, I can, I can only eat as if the balloon is still in there. So maybe that balloon has uh, uh, incorporate memory effect on our mind uh, as so that uh, it helps control the volume uh, long term. Mm-hmm. The uh, most weight loss, interestingly, is more than 50 kilos from the balloon. But this is a very, very obese patient. So which is comparable to bariatric surgery, actually, for, for a very high uh, BMI patient, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about cost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how does balloon uh, differ from, say, bariatric surgery, but also then the, the different types that between endoscopy and the pill? Sure. Okay. Cost range, I suppose. Yeah. So um, most of... Uh, you know, when we when we talk about medical treatment, when it involves devices that enhance the uh, the cost, eventually. Yeah. So uh, when uh, plus uh, when we talk about a device which is very unique, uh, you know, how can you ever imagine that you can create a balloon inside the stomach by just swallowing a pill? So in order to have that kind of technology. It, there has been a lot of effort put into research and innovation part. Hence, that ha- would have increased the cost of the implant itself. So it depends. Um, those prior balloons, uh, the other five types of balloon, which is implanted by endoscopy, the cost of the balloon itself definitely is uh, 50% cheaper uh, than the uh, you know, swallowable balloon. So uh, the majority of the cost does not come from the procedure itself, does not come from the uh, daycare ward, does not come from the medication that we prescribe, does not come from the nursing part. Uh, It comes from the the balloon. So the balloon is the one that makes it expensive. Now, there are different uh, range of pricing and depends on where you have it done, under the government part or under the uh, private part. Uh, unfortunately, uh, at the moment, insurance does not cover because it's still considered as a cosmetic procedure. However, EPF or KWSP do cover uh, via account two mm-hmm. uh, on a pay and claim basis mm-hmm. because KWSP has accept morbid obesity is uh, one of the, uh, I think, uh, several critical illnesses which can uh, be withdrawn uh, via account too. Mm. Yeah. Is it available in government hospitals? Of course, mm. in UK, and we do a lot. Mm. Yeah. Including the, the new um, uh, yes. procedure? The new, the new swallow procedure is uh, the one that we do the most, actually. I think uh, what attracts the, the pop- general population and patients is because of its simplicity. The only downside is the price. Mm. The only downside is price, mm. yeah, because the patients still have to pay 
uh, so whether if you do under the government or on the private side, you still have to pay for the balloon itself. Yeah. What What's the cost range of the balloon itself? We set aside the mm-hmm. hospital costs, which are variable. It depends. So I would probably uh, say in the cost uh, on average between 6K to 15K. Mm, all right. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, drugs now are also very advanced. And the GLP-1 receptor agonist, yes. which is the... Um, actually originally developed for diabetes, right? Yeah. Which is now, um, you know, uh, people interested in it because it's showed to apparently be as effective as bariatric surgery yeah. um, at certain dosages to reduce weight. So why not go for a pill instead of a pill that becomes a balloon that still has to come out? <laughs> I guess, you know, in counselling patients, what are the options available to them? How do they decide um, medication or procedure? Okay, so um, like I said, the only thing that should be res- uh, not restricted to the patient is diet and exercise when we talk about losing weight. But when it comes to other modalities, uh, the access to the general population must be restricted because the problem is uh, you see nowadays, everybody talk about uh, uh, pharmacological treatment, uh, medication that can be easily uh, bought from pharmacy uh, bought online. Now, the the worry is most people want a quick fix of weight loss. They just want to take a pill. They just want to have an injection to lose weight. That principle of mentality towards uh, the ultimate goal to achieve weight loss is wrong. Mm. You know, we not aiming for weight, just weight loss. You see, the danger of weight loss is when you lose weight, you're not just going to lose fat. You're going to lose protein. Hence, you're going to lose muscle. Mm. Okay? Mm. And when you lose weight, you know, these medication will uh, suppress your appetite. And when you have l- low appetite, you're not going to eat. Mm-hmm. Food is very important to our body. And when we talk about balanced food, we're talking about macronutrients, protein, carbohydrate, and fat, uh, minerals, zinc, magnesium, potassium, sodium, etc. And ultimately, vitamins, the A, B, C, D, E, and K mm-hmm. vitamins. The, uh, these are very important. So if you just take medication by your own rights and by your own formula, by your own prescription, that's dangerous. Yeah. What it should be is everyone should seek a professional uh, doesn't matter whether a nutritionist or a doctor to explain. And when we talk about these modality of treatment, and particularly with the subject of pharmacological treatment, it has to be in combination with healthy diet and exercise. Yeah. These are very, very important. I have to emphasize this. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, that's really coming through very strongly. The uh, consistency um, of changing the way you eat, um, what you eat, and changing your lifestyle to be less sedentary as well. Um, I want to just use that to link to the point you made that supervised programs, um, for instance, for the for the uh, swallowable pill, um, are actually more effective. Um, I think that really uh, points to the fact that it's really difficult to expect people who have struggled with weight problems for many years, probably, and probably have tried their best with diet and exercise, perhaps just not with the right methods, uh, 
And it's impossible to expect them to make that switch just because they've had a balloon, right? Um, so what are the aspects of a supervised program uh, that help them uh, to, to help to support them as they go on uh, in making this a long-term solution? Okay. First, first of all, uh, as we know from a numerous prospective study, not only in medicine, uh, but in everything, uh, supervised versus non-supervised program, supervised program always wins and result in a much more uh, efficient outcome. So when we talk specifically with regards to balloon and more specifically uh, with regards to the swallowable balloon, uh, the supervised program is a one-year supervised program and that incorporates from the pre-procedure uh, counselling uh, coordinating the procedure, uh, doing the procedure, follow up clinically uh, post-procedure while the balloon is still inside the stomach for four months and follow up and uh, giving regular advice um, uh, throughout the eight months after the balloon is out. So four months plus eight months equals to one year. Okay. And who are these people, actually? So um, these include clinicians, uh, nutritionists and dietitians, balloon clinical experts, uh, and you have the manager and uh, a coordinator. Because, um, you know, when you only have like 10 patients to begin with, it's much more easier to yeah. coordinate as opposed to now uh, for this particular swallowable balloon, which was actually introduced back in 2020, mm -hmm. which is 2020 was, a, remember, a quiet period because the MCO or PKP. Mm -hmm. uh, but after that, it exponentially exploded because why uh, people uh, start to become uh, free again. Uh, but during the PKP, most people put weight. <laughs> so hence, they want a quick fix. Um, that's why they, they went for the balloon. But like I said, a quick fix is not the uh, you know, aim or the principle of uh, these uh, balloon management. Uh, the supervised program helps to counsel them so that they go back to their healthier lifestyle, control their diet habits. Mm -hmm. um, so with the uh, combination of all these uh, multidisciplinary uh, team, um, it creates efforts uh, in um, you know overseeing all these patients and regularly give advice. But because um, we have done more than 1,100 uh, balloons, uh, intra, uh, swallowable intragastric balloon, of course, uh, the team has to expand. Otherwise, it won't be able to cope with that volume. Uh, but when, because we are very, very uh, conscientious with these patients, we're not only uh, supervising them for one, one year, we'll continue to keep in touch with all these patients uh, to see, um, you know, how they do over time. Because like I said, success is not short term. Success is about long term outcomes. Mm. So these are very, very important. Uh, how do we monitor them? Because um, the other uh, incorporation into these uh, supervised program is that uh, all these patients will get a free electronic weighing scale, a smart watch um, to observe uh, you know, everything from the heart rate, uh, metabolic output, including sleep pattern as well. It's good for research as well, uh, once we have collected and analyzed this data. Uh, and all these patients, we help download a specific uh, apps 
uh, on their mobile phone so that uh, whenever they measure and weigh themselves, it will be translated to the uh, apps and uh, you know stored in uh, the database, mm-hmm. which is used over time to analyze and publish it. So um, I'm going to publish that paper. So hopefully we have one at least uh, objective outcome um, you know, mm. in Malaysia. Mm. Yeah. Will they get support in uh, sort of starting up an exercise regimen, uh, you know, uh, doing up daily meal plans or weekly meal plans and things like that? Oh, um, yes, uh, there are initiatives from uh, the nutritionist who actually all these patients uh, receive uh, a booklet of uh, healthy diet and meal. Of course, executing is not uh, as easy. So it needs regular, and that's why supervision is very important. So they get reminded regularly every two, three days by the nutritionist. Is there a possibility that uh, some of them may need repeat procedures? Uh, A lot of patients do ask, uh, doctor, I'm very happy and pleased that I've lost 15% of my total body weight, but I'm still, of course, uh, overweight and I would like to try another balloon. Is it possible? Of course, yes. It's called sequential balloon. So sequential balloon is balloon after balloon. However, we uh, do uh, advise patients to rest their stomach at least two to three months before we put a new balloon. Mm -hmm. Because if we immediately put the balloon in, then the weight may not lose that much. And a lot of people ask, how come some patients, some balloons uh, is for six months, some balloons are uh, for four months? So when you look at all the previous study, uh, it shows that uh, the majority of weight loss start to plateau after four months. So you don't really need to have too long balloon inside the stomach because it can cause uh, the stomach wall to thicken mm. if you have uh, too long balloons. So that's the that's the reason. Mm. Yeah. All right. But uh, how? What's the maximum? number of sequential balloons? that uh, As many as do. you like. I see. As many as you like, mm. yeah. Uh, but we hope that one balloon should enough uh, give an example to their specific body to change their lifestyle forever. Mm. Uh, because if you lose 15% of your weight and say your weight is 100 kilos, you lose 15 kilos, now your weight is 85 kilos. Oh, that certainly helps a lot. 15 mm. kilos is a lot of weight. 15 Having less 15 kilos helps you move better, motivates you more. You look much more presentable, you know, so it creates confidence. So all the positive uh, cycle start to embed in uh, people's mind and body. Mm. Would you see, uh, have there been uh, measurable outcomes in terms of their cardiovascular endpoints as well? Uh, Yes, yes. You see, um, a lot of uh, data has been analysed and when we talk about the metabolic results, uh, in particular diabetes, uh, the swallowable balloon uh, and other type of balloon has published uh, and has shown that uh, balloons help reduce um, HbA1c. Mm -hmm. That's the control, long-term control. Uh, That's the three months uh, Mm -hmm. blood sugar control. uh, control. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also... Uh, helps control hypertension and does reduce you know cholesterol level unless you have type 1 or uh, primary hypercholesterolemia which is a familial then that's a different uh, case mm. yeah uh takeaway message um so is the intragastric balloon a long-term solution to tackling obesity what's the wider message that you'd like our listeners to to leave with well 
the long-term solution is multifactorial. Patient, the general public, the government, everybody has to take initiative and incorporate everything towards healthy lifestyle. Um, so when we talk about individual itself, they have to be really motivated and try and lose weight as much as possible uh, by, you know, creating a calorie deficit redu reduction in calorie intake and, uh, you know, uh, increase their output. And from the general public as well, so if we have one person and this positivity is uh, shifted to the general public, so, you know, that will definitely control, hopefully, you know, the culture side, mm. okay? And ultimately, the government also can help uh, initiate programs, uh, create more green spaces for people to exercise, uh, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, you have uh, the Rahma thing, you know, mm -hmm. for food. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about gym Rahma. Maybe yeah. it's a cheaper gym uh, right. subscription. That's right. That may, ha may encourage people to do that. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, uh, the minister can uh, hear what I say and create that sort of Rahma, <laughs> gym Rahma, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, you know, it, it has to come from every angle. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, one angle will not work. So it's multifactorial, just like anything in life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Nick Ritza. I've been speaking to Associate Professor Dr. Nick Ritza and Cosine Nick Mahbud, a consultant, upper GI and obesity surgeon from Hospital Chancellor Tuanko Morris, University Kebangsaan Malaysia. We've been discussing intragastric balloons. You've been listening to Health and Living on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.